Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. We will put in place an additional $10 billion of rental construction financing. That's going to help us to increase supply across the country of affordable rental units, which we see as important. On top of that, we put in place $300 million in a, a municipal supply challenge, encouraging municipalities to come to us with ideas on how they can expand supplies. That's Federal Finance Minister Bill Morneau today defending his budget and specifically defending the measures that are meant to encourage more first-time homebuyers and defending himself against the accusation that by creating more demand, we're going to see a price spike, which would really undo any benefit that these changes would bring. So you heard in that clip there from Bill Morneau, he says, well, yeah, we're trying to encourage demand. We're also trying to encourage more supply. We think it's all going to balance out. Uh, so essentially, though, there, there there is a plan here to try to make home ownership within reach of first-time homebuyers. So really targeting uh, younger families here, millennials. And it's something that liberals have talked a lot about uh, since coming to office in, in 2015. You've got a real interesting situation right across the country, though, when it comes to the housing market. You've got what are still maybe even overheated markets in, in Vancouver and Toronto, but you've got some markets that are struggling like here in Alberta, in Calgary. In fact, there have been a lot of voices here in Alberta that have been calling for uh, the federal government to repeal some previous changes, including that mortgage stress test. That didn't happen in yesterday's budget, but it is something that the federal government says they are going to keep an eye on. So, what the government intends on doing is allowing more money to be taken out of RRSPs for first-time home, uh, home purchasers, that amount's going to increase from $25,000 to $30,000. Now, mind you, maybe a lot of first-time homebuyers don't have a lot of money built up in, in RSPs. But there's some other changes as well that, that are coming here. Joining us to talk more about it is uh, Thomas uh, Davidoff. He's uh, Stanley Hamilton Professorship in Real Estate Finance at UBC, Director of uh, the UBC Center for Urban Economics and the Real Estate uh, Sauter School of Business at the uh, University of British Columbia. Professor Davidoff, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Oh, real pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, probably leaving out some elements of, of these changes uh, that the government brought in yesterday. What, what stands out to you, though, as some of the most significant changes? Well, Going into this, what I was hoping was that there'd be uh, a lot of money on the supply side. You know, I'm in Vancouver, which is a different place than Calgary. We're struggling with high prices and rents. And the best way to address that for the government today would be probably to invest in rental housing. The government has access to cheap debt. It's borrowing at very low rates. And I suspect they can make money investing in rental housing. So I was happy to see $10 billion allocated there. Uh, you know, is that the right number? I don't know. But it, but it was a significant step and I, I, I think a good expansion of that program. Uh, what I was worried about was that they would say, hey, uh, if you buy a house for the first time, we're going to th- throw money at you, but we won't give you money otherwise. Uh, because in a situation where it's hard to add supply, you know, pushing people to buy would tend to push prices up, right. which is the opposite of what we want where we are. I think this equity sharing, though, is pretty interesting. You know, CMHC is already very involved with first-time buyers providing mortgage insurance on loans above 80% of value. 
And I think a lot of the impact of what they're doing is it's, you know, more than pushing people to do something different in terms of the purchase of the home, it's going to have them replace uh, some mortgage debt with uh, equity sharing. And so that puts CMHC, the borrower, and the whole economy at less risk if prices continue to fall, uh, if interest rates rise, that there'll be defaults on homes and people, you know, fire sale, uh, ditching property. So I think that swap of debt for equity is potentially very interesting. It can be a great solution uh, for expensive housing markets, and a government demonstration of it is really quite interesting. Well, yeah, and explain how this is going to work, because it, it basically allows for the CMHC to kick in uh, a portion of the down payment, and it's something then that I guess would be repaid when, when the home is sold. How, how, how would this work? As I understand it, and I think they should probably tweak this a bit, but my understanding is essentially they pay 5%, up to 5%, so probably exactly 5% of the purchase price of a home, up to 10% for new homes. But let's say it's 5%. The borrower then has 5% less mortgage debt for the same down payment, so they're making lower payments through the life of the loan. When it comes time to sell the house, you take the sale price, and 5% of it goes to the government. So if prices grow at a rate greater than the government's borrowing cost, taxpayers make money. If prices fall far enough, there's nothing for the government because the mortgage has to come first. If uh, prices you know, don't grow very fast, not as fast as interest rates, taxpayers lose a bit of money. Mm-hmm. Well, and does it seem in a way that maybe... We're operating at cross-purposes here. The, the, when you look at some of the rules around the, the mortgage stress test that was brought in uh, versus what seems to be making it easier to get a mortgage, what, what is our overall objective in all of this? Well, you know, there's multiple objectives in multiple jurisdictions, which makes threading the needle fairly complicated. So one thing that I think is a feature, not a bug of this program, is you're seeing a lot of people in Toronto and Vancouver say, you know, the most you can pay for a house under this program because of the $120,000 income limit uh, and because of the qualification rules, you're not going to be able to buy a house much more than $500,000. Who can get a house for less than $500,000? Not in Vancouver. You know, <laughs> exactly. And, and, and I think that's a feature because this may expand demand uh, more in markets like uh, Calgary, right. Winnipeg, places where you can actually afford a home at a not crazy price and where the stress test you know, may have been met with, what are you doing? We didn't have a problem of too much demand, so why are you tamping it down with the stress test, which screws up people's ability to refinance, et cetera? So you can undo some of the harm, sort of collateral damage of the stress test by easing uh, housing finance, making that uh, mortgage smaller, primarily in markets where you haven't had the zaniness in prices that the stress test was meant to combat. Uh, so, so do you think, by and large, then, that these measures are going to have a positive impact? You know, based on the B.C. experience, I'm not sure there's going to be that much take-up. 
of this new uh, equity sharing pro- product. It'll be very interesting to see. So I think those will be muted impacts. The rental lending, I think, is a great idea. You know, I don't think people will know it's happening for the most part. Most people aren't rental housing developers. And, you know, you see a building go up and you don't know who lent on it. Uh, but it's tough to make rental projects work, especially in the more expensive markets. Uh, and uh, we do have a shortage of rental housing, certainly in Vancouver and Toronto. So if it can work, uh, that, that would be a nice feature as well. What about the, the stress test? Because the government is yeah. leaving it in place for now. They say they're going to keep an eye on it. Uh, what, what do we need to be watching for then, do you think? Well, I think, you know, as long as we have such super low interest rates, the stress test is not a bad precaution. You know, it's not crazy to think rents could be, uh, interest rates could be about 2% higher than they are today in the not too distant future. And you worry about people just getting by in terms of payments at today's rates, uh, dealing with a rate hike. Also, if prices fall, limiting how much people can borrow puts everybody, including the taxpayer through CMHC, at less risk. So I think the stress test, you know, uh, look, if high-value, high loan-to-value loans are such a great product, uh, the private sector can provide them. It's not clear to me the government should be in that business at all. I do think providing this equity sharing, though, is interesting. People have thought it's a good idea for a long time, but, you know, you need a a thick market for that, and and the demonstration value of CMHC showing it works, if it does work, uh, will will be quite interesting. What about the measures pertaining to RRSPs and allowing people to take even more out of RRSPs without penalty to to put toward a down payment uh, as first-time home buyers? I mean, part of the argument against that is, well, do these millennials, these first-time home buyers, have much built up in their RRSPs? Do you, do you see much impact from that? Not not a huge amount. I think if I saw it right, something like ten percent of first-time buyers are maxed out on their RRSP contributions, you know, such that this would be an issue. So, you know, it's not nobody. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, uh, stylistically, you know, a lot of people really struggle to save enough. And, you know, they'd probably go with the uh, TFSA first. Um, So, you know, requiring people to save uh, for retirement, but then pay, you know, more than they should uh, potentially renting or on credit card debt doesn't make a great deal of sense. So, you know, easing that constraint has, has the benefit of letting people get into the market, one, but two... There's an issue of getting people to put money in retirement savings. If people can't pull cash out of retirement savings to buy a house, they might be reluctant to use the RRSPs. So making them more liberal, yeah, you risk people borrowing from their retirement to buy a home, which is not great. Uh, but at the same time, you get you may get more savings for retirement. So, you know, as prices get more expensive, I think, you know, you're probably going to raise that limit. Right. I mean, the... Part of the argument is that the home ownership is in 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 its own way uh, an investment toward retirement. Yeah, is home ownership savings? You know, in in some good old fashioned days, you bought a house and you amortized it over twenty five or thirty years, and you retired uh, with one hundred percent equity, and you'd done quite a bit of savings in a tax free way, which is super. Uh, to the extent the home is used as a uh, home ATM, and every time prices go up, you do a cash out refinance. Less so. So I do think there's a place for pushing people to put money into retirement savings accounts. Uh, Yeah, but again, if people are borrowing at high interest rates uh, and saving at normal rates in a retirement account, that, that doesn't make a great deal of sense.
Yeah, good point. All right, well, we'll leave it there. Professor, thanks for your insight, and thanks for making some time for us here today. Appreciate it. A real pleasure. Thank you for your time. All right, take care. Uh, that is uh, Thomas Davidon, professor at UBC, Stanley uh, Hamilton, professorship in real estate finance, also director of the UBC Center for Urban Economics and Real Estate, part of the Sutter School of Business at UBC. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.